we have to know our origin story and our backstory in order to know who we are and where we're going as characters and as people. And not looking at our story, it's going to rob us of the ability to see God at work in our life. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. It's Jesse Eubanks. And Sam Stevenson. Welcome to the Enneacast. Season three. Season three. We are so excited to be back with you guys. It has been quite a while. What an adventurous year. Uh, we hope all of our listeners are doing well. Yeah, so far so good. Honestly, nothing bad to report. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, except for a pandemic. But besides yeah. that, besides <laughs> that. Um, hey, so uh, so this season on the Enneacast, we are going to be exploring story. We're going to explore your personal life story as well as the story of your type. Okay, so before we start talking about story, let me like leave the world of psychology for a second and go somewhere a little deeper. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. Uh, so, um, So in the story of Captain America, what we see is that in the 1940s, we've got this young, scrawny, short guy with health problems and like asthma uh, named Steve Rogers, but like he has the utmost character. He's a guy that really cares about morality and he cares about goodness and he cares about fighting back against evil and he's doing everything he can to get into the war. Would and you they, say that he's a one on the Enneagram? He's a one on the Enneagram <laughs> and they keep rejecting him. So then eventually like he starts like bending the rules in an attempt to get into be able to enlist as a soldier. And what we see in the movies that that come after that is we see repeated callbacks to to who he was before he was on a platform and that his life of being the small guy, his life of being overlooked, his life of being manipulated by people that were in positions of power, all of that stuff that continuously influenced all the decisions he made in all of those movies that followed. You know, it's ironic he was my least favorite character, and by the end, he was probably my favorite character. Really? Yeah, because because the way that they unfolded the story of his life, it was a beautifully compelling story. So what happened to Captain America? I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies. Oh, Sam, <laughs> you're breaking my heart. I know. Um, he, he went on to find his muscles. Okay. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> all right. Okay, so Sam, we're going to be talking about story this season. Mm -hmm. Why? Why does story matter? Yeah, because if we only talk about the Enneagram, then we're only having a part of the conversation. When professionals and life coaches and counselors sit down with somebody, they go over their Enneagram scores, yes, but they also go through the story of the person. So on their own, the Enneagram scores are incomplete. And so that's why we're, we're bringing in this story component in our third season, because we wanted to set up you know, obviously content about the Enneagram, but then we want to bring in, hey, here's your life story. Here's why it matters. Yeah, if you only have your Enneagram, you only have half the equation. Yeah. Uh, you need the other part. Um, we have a saying that says uh, life story plus Enneagram equals clarity. Right. You know, our Enneagram type feels incomplete without these two key elements, our story and the story of Jesus. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about those two things. So the first thing, let's talk about story, um, and not just like like how to write a story, but right. like your life story, because a lot of times, a lot of us are just living. Um, we're living sort of uh, without thinking about the history that we come from, uh, the the story that we've lived, and uh, the reality is that we're humans. We're humans with experiences and emotions. We're not just numbers spit out from a test. What I love about the word story is that it implies that there's an author. There is a sense of purpose. There's a sense of direction. And the amazing thing is that God invites us to be co-authors in our story. He's not he's not the puppet master here. You know, we're not we're not saying that we're saying that he is inviting us to, to help write the story, knowing that he is sovereign. Yeah. You know, because God is writing a certain story there. There are plot points to everybody's life. You know, if I look at the story of your life, there are certain things that happen And it's clear that God is taking you somewhere on a certain trajectory. The reality is he is setting you up to be the person to show up for certain moments in this world and in this life that only you are the person to show up for. And the real danger is this. If we don't slow down and we don't really consider the stories that we've lived, um, then we really run on autopilot. We run out of a, a space of reactivity where we're reacting to the story we've lived uh, but it's like burning in the background. It's like we have no conscious, you know, yeah, there's thought. no purpose. Yeah, it's just kind of happening and my life is happening and I don't understand why these things happen and I don't understand why I do the things that I do. All of that stuff is buried in your story. So we have to know our origin story and our backstory in order to know who we are and where we're going as characters and as people. And not looking at our story, it's going to rob us of the ability to see God at work in our life. Okay, so Sam, you said that the Enneagram needs two things. The first thing you said was story. Mm-hmm. The second thing you said that the Enneagram needs is Jesus' story. Yes. Talk about that. Yeah, I think it's important to include Christ when we talk about our own story because he is a part of our story. He's, you know, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the Enneagram is always asking questions that it can't answer, very existential questions like, who am I? How am I doing? You know, where am I? We always talk about that when we talk about triads. And so when you include Jesus in the equation, he's helping answer those questions and he's giving us an identity. He's giving us direction. He's giving us perspective. Yeah, I think the thing is this, you know, uh, the Enneagram is like this incredible diagnostic tool, right? Mm -hmm. It's like gives us really profound insights into how we operate as people. But the reality is this, the Enneagram cannot love us into wholeness. The Enneagram is merely a tool. So it it reveals the fact that we as humanity are plagued by our fear and plagued by our guilt and plagued by our shame. And one solution that people offer up for that is just, well, you you shouldn't feel any of those things. Well, that is not true. I live my life like I should at times feel guilty for the things that I do. And I should feel a certain degree of shame because I am broken uh, and I should feel a certain extent of, of fear. But also I struggle with false guilt and false shame and false fear like that. That's mm-hmm. all real, too. And they feel the same. Which and is they the feel the part. same, which is like really tricky. But what happens is that um, the Enneagram functionally ends up asking these really deeply religious questions that it's not prepared to answer. But Jesus does answer those. Jesus looks at us and he does say, I will give you the never ending delight that's going to heal your shame, that's going to make you whole, that's going to give you an identity. I will never leave you. I will be ever present to you. And that's going to heal your fear. I see your guilt. I go to the cross. I take your sin on myself and I replace it with my grace. Uh, I forgive you. And then I extend unmerited favor on you. So Jesus alone really is the answer that the Enneagram asks questions about. 
One of my favorite things about the Enneagram is that it it has such true redemption offered. Um, but one of the best parts about our faith is that we can look to Christ to see that he is the fulfillment of each of those redemptive parts. So he is the true helper. He is the true reformer. He is the true peacemaker. I love that we can we can look to Christ as the model and the fulfillment of each of these Enneagram types. He offers both healing for our wounds and repentance for the sins that we've committed. And we need both of those things. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times people in modern times really just want to fixate on, we just need healing, healing, other, healing. Yeah. And it's like... Um, and then, yeah, you get more like the religious communities that are just like, you know, you need to repent and change. And it's like Jesus has both those things. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram reveals the fact that we need both those things. And Jesus is like, yeah, I told you that 2000 years ago. Like, <laughs> yes, you you need to be healed of your wounds, but also you need to turn away from the way that you're living and live a different way. And so in so many ways, the story of the Enneagram and the life stories we've lived they just always lead back to Jesus himself because Jesus alone is the one that's going to show us um, how we can experience redemption of our true self. So we've said, here's why it's important for you to know your story. Here's why it's important for you to incorporate Jesus into your story and for your Enneagram type to have a story. So how do we map our story? What do we do next? Okay, so I'm really excited because I have written a workbook called Mapping Your Enneagram Story for the purpose of helping people very clearly lay out the story of their life and overlay it with their Enneagram story. So the workbook is in three sections. Part one is all about mapping your life story. And we're actually going to explore some of that content in this episode. Part two is about mapping your Enneagram story. And we're actually going to go through that content in each of the individual type episodes all season long. And then part three is about writing your future story. And that's all about uh, now that you understand who you are and the plot of your life and how you tick as a person, where is God leading you in the future and what story is he writing with your life? So if you're wondering where you can pick up this workbook, go to mappingyourstory.com. And the great news is that all of the proceeds are actually going to go to support the ministry work of Love Thy Neighborhood. So every dollar that comes in is going to go to Boots on the Ground Ministry that is going to be devoted to helping our most vulnerable citizens, both physically and spiritually. So again, pick that up by going over to mappingyourstory.com. Okay, so part one then is mapping your life story. So let's talk about that. Well, the good news is that there's a really clear process for that. And the bad news is you have to wait until after the break. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults, just like Anna Tran from Pennsylvania. LTN was a big checkpoint in my life. When I was there, I was really confronted with the most uncomfortable parts of my heart, things I didn't even know I was struggling with, things I didn't even know was keeping me from growing in my relationship with God. I don't think I would be the same person I am now if I had not gone to Louisville and gone to LTN. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. 
So, Jesse, before the break, you said that there was a really simple process to map someone's life story. And so there are three steps. Step one, identify life terms. Step two, map your story. And step three, map your emotions. So let's start with the first step, identifying life terms. Okay, so life turns are major events in your life. This could be meeting somebody for the first time. It could be uh, falling in love with somebody. It could be um, a huge victory that you experience. It could be a failure or a loss or even a trauma. And what we want folks to do is that uh, we're going to have them go back through their life and they want to identify the top 20 turning points of their life in particular, before you turn 25 years old. And the reason is because, by and large, our core type is settled by the time that we're 25. Like, there's like a bazillion, you know, Enneagram theories about, like, when do you know your core type? Right. Like, what everyone agrees is, by 25, that sucker it's, is set. Yeah, like, it's in place. Stone. So what we want is for you to identify the top 20 turning points of your life before you turned 25. So I think an example would be helpful for folks to understand, mm-hmm. like, what we're getting at here. Uh, okay, so Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, what is one turning point in your life? So whenever I th- was thinking through, like, what example I wanted to share, I really kind of had a reoccurring memory because I want to illustrate a point of like why am I a nine you know like right and so I kind of have this reoccurring memory of every Christmas um this is a sad memory so every Christmas there would always be kind of two sets of people in the room so there would be the the doers and the the waiters (laughs) those that are waiting (laughs) um and I always wanted to be with the doers um I the doers were in the kitchen those are mostly the women of the household my my mom and her two sisters my grandmother they're always making something doing something um just preparing the day for everybody. And that's where I wanted to be because that's where the action was. However, I wasn't allowed to be in that because I was little and I was in the way and I had nothing to offer. And so I had to go with, sit with the waiters and sit with um, mostly the men of the household that, (laughs) you know, for whatever reason, um, we're just waiting for, for lunch to be ready. And so um, my most of my memories of Christmases and Thanksgivings as kids were always longing to be where the action was, but never really feeling welcome. And so I had to go sit and wait. Um, and I really think that that once I started to learn what my Enneagram type was, I, I rem- remember that memory of, of, yeah, not being allowed to, to be with the action and, and then having to sit and take a step back because my presence didn't make a difference. Hmm. Yeah, I could see very much how that would lend to a reinforcing message, you know, of like, your presence is not going to make a difference. Like, you're not a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really great to be able to label a memory like that and say that's a distinct and important memory. Um, A couple of additional questions for you. About about how old were you? I remember being around 8 to 10. 8 to 10. Yeah. Okay. And then would you say that's a positive memory or a negative memory? Uh, Negative. And on a scale of one to five, like, so like zero would be a neutral memory and mm-hmm. negative five would be like a really bad memory. Mm-hmm. Where I'll would put you? Like a two and a half or three. Okay. So let's just, we'll just say it's a negative three. Okay. So the other important question is whenever we think about memories, we have to think about like, what's the memory and what's the emotion associated with that memory. Mm-hmm. So for you, what is the emotion associated with that memory? And and to clarify on that, um, we've actually created an emotion guide because I know that a lot of folks are listening to that and they're going like, you're asking me feelings and that's not, you know, my language. And so there's actually an emotion guide in the workbook and there are six primary emotions and then dozens of secondary and tertiary emotions. And so you um, would label each memory with a primary emotion um, and then follow it up with, uh, with more nuanced emotional expression. So Sam, when you remember yourself as a 10-year-old girl at home 
and it's the holidays and all the people are in the other room and they're preparing and you're not a part of that, what is the primary emotion that comes mm-hmm. to mind? Sad. Yeah, sad. And then as you look at the list of secondary and tertiary emotions, are there is there a more nuanced word that mm-hmm. you would use as well? Secondary would be disappointment and neglect. Tertiary would be disappointment and rejection. Yeah. So we begin then. I mean, very quick, that's one memory. Right. You know, and you think about like that one single memory, how profound an impact that has on your view of yourself and your sense of, you know, for a nine, like nines really want to feel connected to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a real threat. Like the potential of not feeling connected to other people, like that came from somewhere. That feels like a real threat. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's really highlighted well, yeah. you know, in that in that memory. I think it highlights loss of potential. Like who knows what I could have been if I could have helped, you know, and been somebody that was preparing. I could have learned to cook at a younger age. I could have learned all these different things. But I feel like a lot of nines carry this sense of loss of potential of what could have been. And they Mm. they mourn. They're they're sad. They're upset. They're angry um, for what could have been but never was because of other people kind of overpowering that. Mm. That's good. Okay, Jesse, now I'm going to turn the tables on you. (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. Um, So what's one of your life turns? You know, there's there's actually two that come to mind. So let me, I'll share the sad one first. Okay. And then I'll share the more hopeful one second. And so the first one that comes to mind is that when I was a small child, my parents divorced when I was very young. Uh, so I don't have any memories of them together. And my parents split custody of me. And so I went back and forth between both households. Uh, both had 50% custody. So I would do three days at one house, four days at the other, and then swap. Mm-hmm. Um And around middle school, around 11, 12, 13 years old, it really started to descend on me that both my parents had had very significant lives that had nothing to do with being parents because neither one of them had to parent full time. Hmm. And so there was a real sense of my sister and I were always kind of visitors in both households. I don't know that either of my parents ever intended that. You know, I had my own bedroom. I had posters on the wall. You know, it, it felt like home. As much as it could when the reality was I was just going back and forth all the time. So for me, it really reinforced this sort of sense of being overlooked and being misunderstood by my parents. Both of them always just seemed distracted. And I always sort of felt a bit like I was interrupting their life. Hmm. What emotions did you associate with that memory then? And so, so in my workbook, I gave it a ranking of negative four on, on, the, uh, on the negative turns. And then for emotion, I put sadness as my primary emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, my secondary, though, was, uh, was shame. I just sort of carried a real deep sense of, like, something's wrong with me. Hmm. And my parents would be more interested in me if, if I could figure out whatever was wrong with me. Wow. Um, so you can see where, like, that interpretation mm-hmm. of that scenario mm-hmm. – you know, really reinforced, you know, my four stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, looking at this list here, I would have assumed maybe something like neglect, but for you to to choose shame at such a young age, like, I think that that's very telling about how, yeah, just the feelings that you were associating with that memory and yeah. then what kind of gave birth to your, your core type, which, you know, is not your full identity, but it is your personality it does make up a big part of who you are. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay. So that's first memory. Okay. So can I give you because we both shared sad memories, can I give <laughs> yeah. like a good one too? Sure, yeah. It wasn't please. all bad. Yeah, um, please. So the other memory that comes to mind is around 13 years old, I got really into like comic books. And as part of that, I got really into drawing. And 
to my surprise, I was actually really good at it. And I just started drawing like all the time. Um, in fact, I would sometimes even get in trouble at school. Like the teacher would catch me drawing in the middle of class. And mm. uh, that was not as awesome. Um, yeah. But I, I just became very good at visually expressing ideas that I had in my mind. And at times even visually expressing feelings that I was having as well. And the experience of like realizing I was really good at creative expression was like a really affirming thing. Hmm. Like it became an outlet for me to sort of be able to express like uh, hard emotions, but as well as, as, you know, joyful, positive emotions. But also it was really refreshing just to feel like competent and good at something. Like yeah. I had a skill set that was helpful to, to people. I could make art for other people. I could draw and just enjoy it. It was it was just a really wonderful experience to, to find something that you're good at. Mm-hmm. I remember in middle school, I uh, was in the band and I was first year percussionist. Like, oh, it was, cool. And you know the song, um, what's the Christmas song with the slapstick with the... You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Let's hear the sleigh bells ringing and jing, jing, yeah, 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 too. But Yeah, but that part, that slapstick part with the the whip of the... Um, the horse or whatever, I got to, I was chosen in the eighth grade to, to be the one that could put something so precise, like in the air at the mm-hmm. right moment. So, oh yeah. Cause you mess that up. There's everybody knows. Problem, everybody right? knows. Yeah. yeah. So it's similar. Like one song I got to play the chimes, one song I got to play the bass drum, but I just loved it. So yeah. yeah. That's so great. Yeah. So for me, so realizing that I was really gifted at creative expression became a really important thing for me. Yeah. Okay. So then how do you rank that memory? Yeah. So I rank that as a, as a positive three. Okay. Um, potentially, I don't know, maybe it could have even been a positive four, but I gave it a positive three. Mm-hmm. And then what were your emotions associated with that memory? Yeah. So the, the primary emotion that I experienced would be joy. And so that's pretty awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so the primary emotion I experienced was joy. Um, the, the more nuanced emotion that I would say, this is like very telling of my forwardness here, mm-hmm. but the other words that I would use would be pride, but then uh, enthrallment. Like there was a real sense of like, hmm. I was thrilled to deep dive into something and really kind of give myself over to it. Yeah. Uh, it was a very, it was exciting. It was, yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. It's funny how pride is almost the opposite of shame. Like, yeah. So when you're feeling joy, that sense of shame is not present at all. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. It's just, just pride. So, yeah. So, I mean, I look at my story and I'm like, dude, totally. Like the way I interpreted everything with my parents, like that's going to nurture, you know, the false self of the four. Mm-hmm. The like melancholic, no one understands me. No one cares about me. Everyone else has a better life than I do. Like that's getting nurtured out of that memory. But then also the the gifts of the four, creativity, expression, emotional attunement, like all of that stuff totally comes out of, you know, my positive memory mm-hmm. of, of middle school. Yeah, I can look at my story too and see, you know, the the disconnection and the loss of potential, all of that stuff present in, in the in the sad memory. But then I think about my my time in band and my time in dance and just remembering that I was a part of a whole, like I was really getting to creatively express myself. I had a purpose. I was necessary. You know, all of these things that are um, resourceful for the nine, you know, can kind of bring different parts together, especially um, in percussion, you know, different sounds and different rhythms and different textures kind of coming together. So, um, yeah, it's very telling of, of who we are and what we you know, who we were and then now who we are and who we're going to be. Yeah. 
So the 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 next thing you do uh, once you've identified your twenty turning points in life, the next thing that you do is that you literally map them out on a timeline, and we give you a, a visual aid to help you through this. But the goal is that this is going to give you a bird's eye view of your life where you can start to see trends and themes and patterns. Because when I back up and I look at mine, I don't know how you feel. When I look at my timeline, it is very clear to me why I have the struggles I have and why I have the strengths I have. It is very, very obvious, you know, oh, of course you continue to struggle with that. Like, look at the trajectory of your life. Of course Mm -hmm. you have strengths and went into that particular career. Look at the trajectory of your life. Like, I remember when I first uh, took the Enneagram and it was like someone had crawled around in my psyche. Like, (laughs) I felt like very similar experience when I laid out my timeline where it was like, clearly, obviously, this is the story of my life. And this is why I am where I am right now. Yeah. Um, But it was so funny because before that, I was just sort of free floating, um, unaware of of why I'm where I am. Yeah, it's funny. I have a friend, um, we were visiting uh, somebody and we kind of got talking about the Enneagram and we were talking about life story and everything. And I just made the comment of like, we are characters in our own life story. And this guy that we were visiting had never heard that before. And for him, it was just like all the lights came on. And he was like, I have a role to play in my own life. You mean I'm not just arbitrarily floating around in all of this? Yeah, <laughs> like, like I have and, agency. And there's a God that's the author of my story. You know, like it was very clarifying and revelatory for him. And so yeah. I hope that as we kind of go through this and as the season unfolds, that it can be revelatory for our listeners, that they see that they have a role to play in their own stories and that the Lord is sovereign in all of it as well. And he's creating us and knitting us together with all of these collective experiences and all that we've failed in and succeeded in and all this stuff is just kind of culminating to this moment of of who we are and who we're made to be. Mm -hmm. So the third step in mapping your life story is actually creating your emotions map. And your emotions map is very simple. It actually sort of is like a like a craft project. So you get out six different, you know, colored pencils or pens or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then each of the six primary emotions, you use a different color to signify which one is which. And then very similar to how you laid out your life map in chronological order from a bird's eye view, you're doing the exact same thing, except all that it's concerned with is what were the emotions that you were experiencing at each of these key turns? And what's fascinating is that when you back up, you begin to usually, you begin to see a dominant emotion. There's a dominant emotion that really shapes the way that you see the world. For some of us, it might be uh, more on the sadness side or more on the melancholic side. Uh, For some of us, fear is a huge player uh, throughout our story. And people begin to see Gosh, fear showed up repeatedly, you know, but other folks, you know, I mean, a lot of Enneagram 7s, like Joy, Joy Joy shows up a ton throughout their story. But there's also a lot of occasions where people begin to map out their emotions and they realize, you know, some of us like tend to, you know, so fours, we have a tendency to like look at what's missing. Mm. Um, But there's a lot of moments in my own emotions map that I'm like, you know what? It was a lot better than I remember. I internalized it as far more negative than what I actually end up labeling it as. And that's a good confronting encouragement for me um, to remember it more accurately than I often do. But there's also an invitation for others of us that tend to be like, life was fine. Everything was good. Why is everybody making a big deal about all these things? And they look back and actually there's a lot of true sadness in their story um, or true fear uh, or anger. And it's an invitation for folks to be able to to address that. You know, I mean, a lot of nines, there's a lot of anger in their backstory. And uh, there's a real reluctance to acknowledge that. And the emotions map helps them begin to label the memory in a way that is more accurate to the totality of who they are. Yeah, I would say... 
for me, like I live tenants, I have a tendency to live with a lot of vagueness and this brought a ton of clarity as to what my story is. And I have emotions that are kind of all over the place. And I think that that's kind of why I live with such vagueness is because I have a lot of happy memories, but also have some really hard memories. And so it's hard to kind of know who I am and, and what all of this is about. So um, yeah. seeing the colors kind of come together was, was clarifying for me. And so I hope that it can be clarifying for others. And here's why it matters. You know, in my work as a documentary podcaster on the Love That Neighborhood podcast, one of the things that we say all the time is that words tell you what to think, but music tells you how to feel. And the reality is that emotions are the soundtrack of life. Emotions tell you how an experience should feel. So mapping our emotions is just is part of the healing journey of, of having a healthy relationship with our emotions. So I encourage you, pick up a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story. It's a workbook that's going to guide you through the process of mapping your life story, mapping your Enneagram story, and mapping your future story. Head over to mappingyourstory.com and pick up your own workbook. Okay, so I think... We've earned ourselves time for a little game. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when we come back, Sam and I are going to play a little something called Enneagram Catchphrase. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring how to map your life story. And one of the things we're exploring is that our backstories, they have a huge impact on our relationships. Well, if you'd like to explore this more, head over to our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Check out episode number five, where the gospel meets community. It was like so much tension, but we were like all trying to suppress it. The entire Great Commission is at risk because we are failing to realize that what we experienced as children, they're just so critical, so mean, so harsh, and like is still impacting how we as adults relate to other people now. So I feel like some of that has definitely transitioned into my adult life. And then that's when kind of all hell broke loose. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Okay, and now it's time for Enneagram Catchphrase. Uh, okay, Sam, so you're not going to play Enneagram Catchphrase. Here's how it works. On each of these cards, in my hand is a phrase. These phrases are the most commonly said phrases by each type according to the internet, which is never wrong. Never wrong. Okay, so I'm going to read the phrase, and then we each have to guess what type we think uses that phrase. So, huh. okay. Yeah, okay, so if we get it right, we get a point. We're working as a team. We're going to workshop this thing. Okay. So, are you ready? Ready. Number one, you don't understand. Number one, you don't understand. Ooh, if it was you don't understand me, then that would be the four. But you don't, you don't understand was probably the one. You don't understand. One or eight. Could be five, too. So one, One was my five. gut answer. Okay, so are we going with one? I'm, I think so. You can, what do you think? Um, I've, I'm, I lean towards one. 
Yeah. I would if it's if they had the word me at the end, I would have gone four. Yeah. I'm gonna go one. Let's see what we got. Four. Really? Four. Can we I'm... disagree with the internet? <laughs> yeah. Boo we can. on you, internet. You don't understand. I could see that. Okay, next one. I have so much to do. I have so much to do. Um, Three or twos, twos, ones, ones maybe. I'm thinking three. Yeah, because it's almost stay threes. Like say it's that a is boisterous like a, way. yeah, right. It's like I'm very busy. Mm-hmm. And congratulations, you're super American. You're like <laughs> you're very American. Yeah, uh, I think three. Okay, me too. And the answer is three. Yes. What's up, internet in your face? <laughs> Quarantine five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, next one. Here, let me do it. Oh, eight. Eight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and one. What? One. Here, let me do it. I guess because they wanted it to be right. <sighs> we were both quickly wrong. Like, we were... Because one's... I mean, Johnny eights are notorious for yeah. Get out of my way. Yeah. I'll, ta- I'll do this. Yeah. Okay, next question. Next phrase. Are you sure... Are you sure? Six or nine. Six or nine. I fully agree. I'm going to go six. Me too. The answer is six. Yes. All right. Next one. How can we fix this? How can we fix two, this? What do you think? Two or one. But four could see that something's broken. Yeah, but we're we're going to cry like about how it's broken more it. than how to fix it. <laughs> Um, resourceful eights. I'm thinking two or three. Two, two is the common three. number. Let's go with two. Okay, we're gonna go two. The answer is eight. I said eight. Eight. You did say eight. I should have listened to you. It's okay. Do you feel unheard and overpowered? <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, next one. But why? Hmm. But why? That has a little bit of like. But why? vindictiveness to it so i was thinking five if it was just why but they're not as combative as other types yeah they're sort of an argumentative but why yeah yeah but why can i do this my way is kind of what i'm hearing we can do eight again or, or one four. fours can do that i don't know i'm at a loss on this one wait what'd you say what was your other eight one? four or one let's go eight okay wait let's go one okay one. Nice. Nice. Switched it up. Okay. Next one. Did you know, ellipsis, question mark, did you know? Did you know? Five. I'm also going to say five. And it is five. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Next one. You got this? Um, Seven or nine. Seven or nine or three. Three. Yeah. Threes like to inspire. Nines are like, it's I, I fine. Think, I think I think seven. Yeah. The answer was three. The oh, answer man. Was three. But we did say it could have been a three. Could have been a three. See, that's, partial the, credit. that's the tricky part. Some of these they other human be. beings are allowed to say words. <laughs> yeah. Um, you tell them, Jesse. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one. Not necessarily. Oh. Not necessarily. I think six. Okay. I could see that. So I'll go with it. Six is correct. Do you know why? I You've knew? heard that before. <laughs> because my wife has said that. I'll say something and she'll go, not necessarily. And I'll go, oh, no. You haven't considered all the facts. I've not considered the other side of things. Next one. Can I get you anything? Two. A two. I agree. The answer is two. 
Thank you, Twos, for caring for us. Uh, next one. No worries. Nine. Nine. Nine indeed. <laughs> I like this. We're on a good streak. We're on a good streak here. Okay, next one. Of course. Of course. Oh, either two or nine or seven. Um, I think twos will say that they say of course. Like if we're looking at the Reddit feeds and we're looking at the blogs, twos will say of course more than the nine would. I think it's the nines, man. But what do you think? No, 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 no. You can't just concede to me every time. <laughs> I am. I don't know if you know this. I'm like, okay. Okay, okay. I, my gut says two. Okay, we're going to go two then. Twos. Yeah. Nicely done, Mamantha. <laughs> okay, next one. That doesn't make any sense. Oh. That doesn't make any sense. One, five, or six? I think five. Okay. I think five. And it is five. Nice. What did you say? Five? Yeah. Yeah. I said yeah. one, five, or six. Okay. Uh, next one. I have an idea. Seven. I also think seven. Four. Seven. Okay. Indeed. It was, it was like seven or four. No. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Fours that are highly creative have a lot of seven, but we're pulling from the seven. Okay. Uh, so this next one. Hard pass. Ooh. Uh, five or eight. Or, or nine. Four. Four. <laughs> uh, hard pass. It's somebody with boundaries. I, I lean towards eight. Who? What else did you say, though? Five. I could see nine. I could see five. Nine's if it's something they want to do. I think nine. Okay. What do you think? Nine your, wasn't my first choice. It was five. What's your five, first choice? Five was my first choice, but I can go with nine. I don't think a five would say hard pass. I've, I think if I I've heard just say, five say hard pass. You have? <laughs> yeah, when um, it's like when you when it's engaging in dialogue that they don't want to talk about or if it's you know passing around a new okay. idea. Sam, you're you're in with the with the youths of America more than I am. So, you probably you probably know. Or one, I don't know, I'm changing my mind. Uh okay. <laughs> 5, we're going with 5. We're going to go with 5. 4. 4. 4. Oh, I can see that. Rachel Zabo says hard pass all the time. It's a little hurtful sometimes. Hmm. She's also, a four-wing five, though, so I, that's where I thought she was getting it Right, from. right. Yeah. They're cold, man. Like ice. Um, next one. I don't have time for this. One, three, or eight? Yeah. Yes. It is one of those three. <laughs> uh, I'm just giving you three choices to choose from. Thanks. I don't have time for this. I think three or eight. I mean, it could be any one of those. I know. That feels, this, I don't know how best to say this, but I feel like that's a little bit rude. And threes won't say that. Like threes won't, they'll be a little, they'll soften it, they'll blow a little bit. Yeah, eights, until they get frustrated won't. enough. Yeah, what push, do you think? Push them. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go eight. Okay. You okay with that? Yep. Do I have consensus? <laughs> yeah, Are we in this yes. together? We're in it together. Yes. We're together. The answer is eight. Go teamwork. Last one. That makes sense. Nine. That's a nine. That makes sense. Yeah. I can literally hear every nine in my life going, that makes sense. I think I've said that in this game. Yeah. Look, nine. Yeah, there yeah. it is. So, Sam, our final score, we got 13 out of 18 correct. That's more than half. That was what I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. More than half. So, thank you, Internet. Thanks, or no, Reddit. thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Reddit. 
Okay, so throughout the rest of the season, you know, as we make our way through each of the types, uh, we'll start to see how our our life story works with our Enneagram. And also we're going to talk about how Jesus is the most important piece of our story. And I know that that can sound very trite and very Christianese. We hope to show that what we're saying is anything but trite and Christianese. We're hoping to show it in such a way that we really are expectant that it's going to touch you at a deep level. It's going to impact your life. And our hope is that you can have a fresh encounter with the Lord as a result of it. Special thanks to Sam for being Sam. <laughs> I'm here, guys. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as always, thanks to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or for a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.